Thank you for listening to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. The iCritical Care Podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. Your host is Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM, guest podcast editor for pediatrics. Dr. Parker is director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University in Stony Brook, New York. She also is a professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University Medical Center. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email info at sccm.org. Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today is Tuesday, February 20th, 2007. In our podcast today, we will be speaking with Douglas Wilson, MD, about an article he published in the July 2006 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine entitled, Collaborative Pediatric Critical Care Research Network. Dr. Wilson is the medical director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at the University of Virginia Children's Hospital and chair of the steering committee for the Collaborative Pediatric Critical Care Research Network, and we are happy to have him here with us today. The reference for the article is Pediatric Critical Care Medicine 2006, Volume 7, pages 301 to 307. Dr. Wilson, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Um, would you start off by giving us some background as to why the Collaborative Pediatric Critical Care Research Network was developed? Well, Margaret, I'm sure you know. Um, uh, it's been a long, long struggle for all of us in terms of developing particularly clinical research in pediatric critical care. Uh, we're a young specialty. Uh, we developed uh, with uh, individuals primarily interested in clinical care. And so over time, the struggles, I think, of many of us of trying to do clinical research with inadequate resources, uh, the NIH finally answered. Um, uh, a lot of folks had been lobbying the NIH to try and develop some mechanism of supporting clinical research for pediatric critical care. And um, Carol Nicholson came along, put out the RFA, and um, things have followed since then. Tell us a bit about the Collaborative Research Network. How was it established? How, what has happened so far? How's it going? Well, it was established at uh, the NICHD, actually the, the uh, National Center for Medical Rehabilitation Research, part of the NICHD, put out an RFA in, I believe it was April 2004, asking for applications for clinical research sites um, to join in a collaborative network to do clinical research. Uh, at that time, the, um, what was asked for was to, uh, to uh, put forward a proposal, much like an R01 grant, but that had the additional aspect of including uh, a, a fairly uh, extensive discussion of the resources that were available at the institution in terms of clinical um, laboratory, uh, other investigators, uh, other things that uh, people had ongoing at their different institutions. And so these were, the, the application was made. I don't, uh, frankly, I don't know how many um, centers applied. I know we did at the University of Virginia. Um, and at that point then, when the applications were in, they were scored on the basis of the quality of the application. Uh, you had to make the first tier, and then uh, I think it's fair to say that the NICHD made a judgment um, 
regarding choosing six centers and uh, the criteria. Um, now, again, I was not part of this, but the criteria, as I understand it, uh, was quality of the application, uh, the history of the investigator, what the, uh, the primary investigator's uh, experience was, um, and success in clinical research. Uh, the institutions themselves, and then an attempt was made to balance the population such that they were ethnically diverse and geographically diverse. So with that, then, they chose the six centers that are in the network, and that includes uh, D.C. Children's Hospital with Murray Pollock, who is the primary investigator, um, Pittsburgh Children's Hospital, Joe Carcillo is the primary investigator, uh, uh, Seattle Children's Hospital with Jerry Zimmerman, the uh, Children's Hospital of Los Angeles and UCLA were chosen as a consortium, and that's Kit um, Newth and uh, Rick Harrison. Uh, so they're one site, one center, but two sites. And then uh, Sunny Anon at Arkansas Children's Hospital. And then finally, I think I've counted six, um, is the Children's Hospital of Michigan in Detroit, and Kathy Merritt is the primary investigator. So that's the group of, of, um, of sites, of centers, and then the data coordinating center is the University of Utah with Mike Dean as the um, primary investigator for that. They've been, if I may say, just extraordinarily good. And Carol Nicholson remains the, the project scientist and I guess as a Miss Congeniality Prize, I was asked to be the, the steering committee chairman. We, uh, we did make the first tier at the University of Virginia, but we were not selected. So the uh, steer first steering committee meeting, I want to say, was sometime in the spring of 2005. And we meet uh, every three months. So far, we've met in, uh, always in Washington, D.C. And um, the steering committee meetings uh, are interesting and long and a lot of debate, a lot of discussion. We have a mechanism for um, developing clinical studies that if I can verbally just outline. Basically, one of the investigators would develop a concept. This is um, basically a partially fleshed out idea with an abstract and a, a kind of a, a non-specific budget and background and would present it then to the group, to the steering committee. This would be discussed and either accepted or rejected. If it's accepted, then a protocol committee gets formed and works on that together. And they work on it both at the meeting as well as individually and by conference, phone conferences, et cetera. And then at the next meeting, uh, it would be presented, assuming it's accepted as a concept, it would be presented as a mini protocol, which is a, a fleshed out to a greater degree. So there's a more complete protocol, statistical evaluation, budgetary considerations, et cetera. And then finally, uh, again, if that's now voted, if that's accepted, it goes to a full protocol at the next meeting. And the full protocol is an hour-long presentation, uh, which uh, resembles very much a presentation you'd make for an R01 application for a grant. At that point, it can be rejected, accepted, or it can be sent back to committee for further, uh, further work. Uh, if it's accepted, then it has to be prioritized, it has to be capitated, and, and then the real work begins. Um, the DCC begins uh, developing the manual of operations, the case report forms, all of the work that needs to go into actually carrying out a clinical study. So uh, we're very busy. <laughs>
to say the least. What kind of projects have you done? What's come out of the um, research network so far? Well, remember, we've been at this only for a little more than mm -hmm. a year, and these things take time. We actually do have um, several projects that phase one is done. I think the first one, in fact, has now uh, been accepted for publication in the Journal of Pediatrics is a study on bereavement uh, that was uh, headed by Kathy Merritt from Children's Hospital of Michigan. This was a qualitative study uh, interviewing parents of children who died in the ICU. And their, their, uh, their long-term goal is to try and develop an intervention for a bereavement conference that would hopefully ameliorate the issue of pathological grief. But this first phase was just to talk to parents to find out whether or not, first of all, they would want to have a conference. If they did, what would they want it to include? Uh, and what she found out, I suspect, would not surprise you, uh, Margaret, that um, parents feel that it's very important that their physicians talk to them about their child, that they're realistic with them as their child's going to die. Many of them expressed a real need to be able to talk to the, the child's caregivers and tell them what the experience was like, both good and bad. And I mean, it was equally, some of them uh, very, very touching comments, some of them rather sobering comments about what their perception was for the whole process as their child died in the ICU. That, I think, uh, I think that's an extraordinarily important study and very difficult to do, and Kathy Merritt deserves a lot of credit for, for um, developing and, and leading that protocol, that, that study. Another study is, oh, sorry, I am sorry, drumming on the table. Um, another study that is uh, nearly uh, completed phase one is Murray Pollack's, what, get, what he is entitled a trichotomous outcome study. Murray, of course, we all know, is famous for his PRISM score, and PRISM predicts survival or death in, in ICU populations. He'd like to take it the next step, which is to develop a scoring system that, that predicts not just survival or death, but survival with poor outcome, uh, survival with good outcome. And so the first phase of this study is to develop a tool that will allow us to evaluate children very quickly in the ICU prior to discharge, and he calls that his functional status scale. We have enrolled uh, somewhere in the range of seven or 800 patients already, and so the study phase one is almost closed, and frankly, it looks very good in terms of predicting or, or describing functional capabilities. Uh, we're about to start one more study, which is uh, Joe DiCarlo's crisis study, and please don't ask me to to remember what that acronym stands for. It is basically a, a randomized controlled study looking at the use of uh, metoclopramide, selenium, glutamine, and zinc. Prophylactically, yes, I know, it's a, it's a high-risk study, but a fascinating concept. Joe has done some preliminary work that has, showed, that has shown that one of the reasons for death in the pediatric ICU, of course, we all know, is nosocomial infection, that the kids who are there for prolonged periods of time have lymphocyte depletion, probably in response to chronic stress, um, and that these uh, metoclopramide specifically increases prolactin uh, released from the hypothalamic pituitary axis, which is necessary for lymphocyte uh, health to prevent lymphocytic apoptosis. And zinc and selenium and glutamine all have been shown similarly, sing, uh, singly, 
to uh, promote lymphocyte health, if I can use that broad term. So it is a randomized controlled blinded study of this intervention in kids who have been in the ICU or are predicted to be in the ICU greater than three days and who have invasive lines or tubes of one sort. Uh, the primary outcome variable for that study is time to first nosocomial infection. But other things, obviously, things like uh, lymphocyte counts, lymphocyte depletion, are also going to be looked at. Interesting, uh, and uh, if you know Joe, Dracar uh, Joe uh, Carcillo, and I'm sure you do, um, this is classic uh, Dr. Carcillo. Uh, there are a number of other studies that are in the planning stage. Um, so, again, we're, we're very busy. But in one year's time, we've gotten this far. That's an amazing amount of progress. Can intensivists who are in programs that are not part of the core group get involved in the network studies if they want to? That is, actually is a difficult issue, and, and um, the, the blanket answer to that is yes, of course. Um, realistically, we are pretty busy. We do have rules about uh, outside investigators being involved. Um, any study that's brought before the collaborative network must have as a PI one of the PIs in the collaborative network. So certainly people are free to approach the, the primary investigators and to collaborate and present um, to the the network steering committee, um, and in that way, certainly they they are free to interact and to to work with us. And and in fact, we would welcome that. There are also a couple of studies that are coming up, specifically one study looking at critical pertussis in the pediatric ICU that will require a large number of centers. Um, and we already have plans to collaborate with Polisi, with the Pediatric Acute Lung Sepsis Investigators Group, as well as other interested uh, units that, that wish to apply. So uh, again, yes, uh, although I must say, Margaret, again, we're, we're already pretty busy and prioritization of the studies has become increasingly an issue. It's often difficult for young clinical investigators to get started. Um, how might a young investigator who is interested in clinical research interface with the network? Well, I think if a young investigator has a good idea, he should contact one of the um, one of the primary investigators and talk with them about that. It may not be that they can necessarily do this through the network, but certainly the network's input on that study I think would be invaluable. And we've already actually done that several times with young investigators. So that's one way. I would encourage, strongly encourage, any young investigator to get a local grant, uh, bite off something that they can chew, start with something small begin to understand the problems that are associated with doing clinical studies. Uh, once you get a track record, uh, it's uh, likely that you'll have more success getting funding from other sources. But again, certainly they are welcome to talk to the primary investigators. All of these folks, Margaret, you know, are friendly, good people. Um, they would be welcomed, and if they have a good idea, I assure you <laughs> they're going to want to present it uh, before the network. What do you see as the future of p pediatric critical care? Well, the, uh, that's, uh, as, as, if you've read the article, you know that's, that's one of the things that we've talked about and debated about. There's some very good things happening. Uh, the network, I think, is one very good thing. Policy Network is another network doing clinical uh, research studies. Uh, there are a lot more NIH-funded investigators in pediatric critical care, and so our research 
program, I think, is expanding. In that way, we're, you know, we're very much like the neonatologists. I'm old enough to remember when neonatology was like critical care and everybody was primarily clinically oriented, and now they dominate the, the SPR, or the PAS, excuse me. Um, I think one of the difficulties that we have is that the role of the intensivist is expanding clinically. The intensivists have become, as at least in my institution, people who do sedation because we don't have enough anesthesiologists and we're there and available and can do it. Um, intensivists have become specialists in palliative care. and The reason for that is obvious. Most children in this society die in the hospital and they mostly die in the ICU. So um, intensivists are experienced and some of them particularly um, good at dealing with those kind of issues. I also think that the, I mean, frankly, the hospital of the future in pediatrics will be in ICU. You won't get into the hospital unless you're critically sick. And so I think that the intensivist is, is increasingly becoming a hospitalist of the future. Uh, with that comes 24-hour coverage. Uh, with that, that really jeopardizes this kind of budding research agenda that I think we have. And so I don't know what will win out. I know that in my institution, we're dealing with these, all of these issues right now. And, um, I, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's the old Chinese curse about may you be born in interesting times. Uh, I don't know how it's going to eventually work out, but it's, it's interesting. This network is very important to our field. It often takes quite a long time for studies to be completed. Um, have the network participants considered ways to disseminate information on your progress to others in the field on a regular basis, maybe an annual update? Well, I, I thought about that one, too. And I think if Pat Kohanic wants to make room in pediatric critical care, I volunteer to write the first update. Um, yeah, we've certainly thought about that. It is hard because it's um, there's a lot going on. Everybody's busy. And there's no real formal place to put this. But we do have a website, as does everybody. And there is progress. There are progress reports on the website. But certainly uh, pediatric critical care, which is a journal, I think, almost all of us read, um, this would be a good place. And so uh, you can tell Dr. Kohanic I'm happy to write the, uh, the update if the, uh, if the investigators want me to. Dr. Wilson, thank you very much for talking with us and for sharing your experience and insights on research in pediatric critical care. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. We've been speaking today with Douglas Wilson, MD, Director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at the University of Virginia, about the Collaborative Pediatric Critical Care Research Network. This concludes our podcast. Look for future podcasts featuring a wide variety of information important to critical care practitioners, including interviews with authors and discussions with prominent members of the critical care community. If you have comments, questions, or ideas for future podcasts, please call the Society of Critical Care Medicine's audio feedback line at 1-847-493-6498 to share your thoughts. Pediatric Critical Care Medicine is the official journal of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, offering the latest information about critical care to healthcare professionals, as well as continuing education credit. Members of the pediatrics section receive PCCM as a member benefit. For more information, visit www.sccm.org. Thanks again for listening. Discover successful strategies on how to achieve the maximum benefits of nutrition therapy at the 6th Summer Conference in Intensive Care Medicine. Nutrition as a Therapeutic Agent to Improve Critical Care Outcomes. 
to be held June 14th through the 16th, 2007, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Developed by the Society of Critical Care Medicine and the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine, this conference will cover topics such as the benefits and limitations of select nutrients, successful strategies involved in enteral and parenteral nutrition therapy, and similarities and differences in international nutrition guidelines. Register today by visiting www.sccm.org or calling 1-847-827-6888.